welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back, and thank you again for listening and making a commitment to supporting us. Duh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. We start this one on a good note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but making a commitment to learning. Hope you guys are doing well this week, and I hope you guys are still enjoying our episodes. So I am Jordan. I am one of the co-hosts and still joined with Yvonne. Hey. Hi. <laughs> couple reviews that we've had over the last couple weeks. So Jamie McGee Jones, she left us a wonderful comment run by some of the most knowledgeable people I've ever met, which was super nice. We just sound smart because we look things up in books. (laughs) (laughs) Don't give away our secrets. Oh shit. Sorry. Sorry. Melissa Supernor. Gosh, I hope I'm saying that right. Is that right? Oh man, Melissa. I don't know. I just know her as Melissa uh, Supernor, I think is her last name. Melissa, I'm sorry if I butchered your last name, but you are really cool. Thank you. (laughs) So Melissa said this team is doing wonderful work. Great job. Again, super appreciated. And then we have a Kate fan base, which is nice. I know. know. (laughs) And it's funny because they both spell their names very similarly. We have Kate, C-A-I-T, O'Reilly Beats. And then we have Caitlin, which is C-A-I-T-L-Y-N, Lindblad. Lindblad. Dang it. I did it again. Lindblad. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure she's used to the, <laughs> the, the last name. Actually, I know she is. Aww. So Kate Beats said in episode, on episode four, the diarrhea episode, I really enjoyed it. You ladies have great personalities and it shows through the podcast. We actually just got a flyer for those Myla Fecal Collection kits and it made me laugh. Not sure if we'll try them or not, though. <laughs> I, I feel like so far the diarrhea episode has been fairly popular. Yeah, it was a fun one to do. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was our first real internal medicine topic, too. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that's part of the reason, reason yeah. why. <laughs> and then Kate Lynn said, another great episode. I listened to these on Tuesday mornings during my long commute to work. Starts my work week in the right mindset. I look forward to hearing some autoimmune diseases in the future. You guys rock. So yes, those are coming. Yes. I, <laughs> I know. I think I responded to her and I was like, oh, autoimmune diseases are my, I have a passion for them. I'll talk about that at some point, but um, not only because our, you know, patients get diagnosed with it pretty frequently. I actually had a dog with one too. So I, um, I have a passion for autoimmune diseases. So I want to make sure I do this right, which is why we didn't start with them. Yeah. I I think those episodes too will be, it'll be several autoimmune diseases, like back to back with lots of research. Cause I do really enjoy autoimmune diseases as well. So yeah, those episodes will definitely probably try to cram in as much information as we possibly can. Without being too bad. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> too nerdy, but I'm yeah. cool with it. We're, we're good being nerdy. But honestly, you guys, thank you so much for your reviews, for your comments. We sincerely appreciate it. It, makes, it lets us know that you guys have heard it and that you like it. And, you know, we're, we're, 
we're totally open to criticisms as well. Um, like, you know, that's how I found Jordan. She's like, um, endocrine versus exocrine. <laughs> and then a wonderful friendship formed. So don't feel like you're ever going to upset us if you find a mistake. We'd rather we catch those mistakes and get them fixed. So no, we don't look like complete lame people. Yes, we definitely don't know everything and we, we make mistakes. So yeah. we're learning as we do these episodes too, which is nice. So <laughs> yeah. And if you ever, like, if you want to send us something specifically that you don't necessarily want on the website or on the Facebook group, you can always send us emails too. You can send it to contact at internalmedicineforvettex.com and it'll get to us and we can, we can answer those questions. Or if you have you know, comment or anything that you'd rather just send to us directly, you can do that as well. Mm -hmm. You know, all the ways to get a hold of us. <laughs> yes, exactly. So this week though, I'm excited because we are talking about another endocrine disease. Yeah, we're we're so. doing all these endocrine diseases. How interesting. Huh. I know. It's like it's a I think we'll do runs probably. So this probably. week <laughs> this week is Cushing's disease, adrenal gland excess. Mm. which is nice, not nice for the patient, but I had fun doing the research for this episode because I like to find ways to better explain things to make it simpler to understand. Mm. So, <laughs> And I feel like we see a ton of Cushing's patients in internal oh, medicine. Definitely. Because most general practitioners are like, ah, and they run away from it. So we get it. <laughs> we get mm -hmm. it in our practice. Yeah. Which is really cool. We do so much more like ultrasounds, like looking for it, which we'll get into, but like the RDVM or the referring veterinarian will find like elevated out fast and then send it over to us. And I just, I know what it is coming through the door, but it's, I just really do enjoy those cases. <laughs> I know I, I joke because sometimes I'll just like walk through a department at my hospital and I'll be like, that dog's cushionoid. And they go, yeah. what? And I'm like, just look at it. You know, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that. Like, you know, what we're going to be looking for too. So just, just one of those quick things with, with Cushing's disease, a cushion, right? So we have excess in a cushion, right? So hyper adrenocorticism, there's more, there's lots more versus Addisonian where you need to add steroids. So I remember in school, I, I liked those little mnemonic things. Yeah. Yeah. I always learned like hypo is low because it rhymes. So hypo adrenocorticism and then yeah. hyper is high. So, so hyper, like you're hyper on sugar because you have excess sugar. So that's also excess and Cushing's, you're squishy and Cushing. Um, so there's, there's those. So the definition of this disease is excessive production of ACTH or adrenocorticotropic hormone. <laughs> so mm -hmm. big mouthful ACTH though. And then from either pituitary or enlargement or tumor of the adrenal gland. So there's actually three different types of Cushing's disease, which we'll definitely get into. The most common type being PDH or pituitary dependent hyperadrenocorticism, which is where, again, we'll get into it, but that's the most common type that you're going to see in practice. And then FAT, functioning adrenal tumor or functional adrenal tumor. And then iatrogenic. We talked gosh, several episodes ago about what iatrogenic meant. It means that we caused it. So iatrogenic Cushing's disease is secondary to administration of steroids. And so we can cause Cushing's disease. So that's definitely a risk when you prescribe that, which again, we talked about in diabetes. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, I, I, and 
honestly, like if you work in a clinic and you use steroid, like you, not you personally are using steroids, <laughs> but if, you know, if your patients are using steroids like prednisone, you kind of know what those are because those are the common side effects when you have mm-hmm. too much steroids in your system, which is, you know, excessive urination, excessive, excessive drinking, panting, loss of muscle mass, that pot bellied look. So those are all things that we think of with steroids, but it's exactly what we're looking for with our Cushing's patients because they have exactly. steroids. It's just not prednisone. It's exactly, just, exactly. Know, the, the ACTH. And so, um, yeah. So kind of getting into your anatomy and physiology. So renal, so we're talking about the adrenal glands malfunctioning, correct? So mm-hmm. renal refers to kidney and then add means next to. So one adrenal gland is located next to each kidney. That's Mm. why they're called adrenal glands. And the function of the ACTH is to regulate the levels of steroid hormone, which is cortisol, which is released by the adrenal gland. So we kind of go into about talking that negative feedback loop. In a normal patient, the pituitary gland secretes your ACTH. The pituitary gland is the master gland. Just in case people don't remember, where the pituitary gland is. The pituitary gland is actually in the brain, in the head. And it was, it was interesting because my, I, I kind of was a, like kind of listening to one of my doctors describe it to a client. And she says, and she said, it's a brain tumor, mm-hmm. but it's not malignant. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy when you tell a client their pet has a brain tumor. Oh, I know. Um, they instantly. <laughs> they instantly see all the pictures from the movies of, you know, bad things. <clears throat> but it's usually a tiny little tumor that that's growing on the pituitary gland. And so because it is a tumor, it just excess secretes and does not listen to the, the feedback, the negative feedback part of the loop to tell it to shut off. It just, yeah. it, unfortunately it can't because there's so much of that tissue creating the ACTH. It kind of overrides it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just remember it's a, it's a tumor. It can grow. So yeah, in a normal in a normal dog though, the pituitary gland without a tumor secretes ACTH, and then the ACTH stimulates the adrenal glands to re- to release cortisol, and the the presence of the cortisol exerts a negative feedback on the pituitary gland. So it secretes ACTH, then cortisol secretes, and then the cortisol is telling kind of how we talked about insulin and glucagon mm-hmm. kind of work together the amount of cortisol tells the pituitary gland to stop releasing so much ACTH and and so forth, just to keep those hormones well balanced. And cortisol is released in response to stress, which is kind of what you were talking about being on steroids. It's a, it's a stress hormone that is a steroid. Yeah. And I, and, and I know that feedback loops are really difficult to understand. Most people kind of trip up with them and it's, it's probably simpler than you think than, than you think it is. Mm-hmm. So I, the way I used to explain it to my students is think about your house, right? And you have your heater and you have your thermostat, mm-hmm. right? So you want your thermostat says, I want it to be between 60 and 70 degrees. So if I We'll pretend that the the heat is going to be your ACTH, right? So your heater is producing the heat. That goes out into the room, goes to the thermostat and says, oh, yeah, we're within this level. Now we're getting warmer. We're getting above 70. I'm going to tell the heater to stop working. So Mm -hmm. think of the cortisol as the information going to the heater to tell it to stop making heat or the ACTH, right? So it's this feedback loop that says, yep, we're where we need to be. Now turn off. And then we get below that level and it says, oh, 
we need some so it produces cortisol to go there and and so it's this it is this feedback loop so it it keeps it as balanced because the body likes balance mm -hmm. so kind of a way to think about that is thinking of like you know a thermostat and your heater and kind of helping balance each other to make sure it's not too hot not too cold so not too much steroid not enough steroid we yeah. like that balance Exactly. So as Yvonne said, that feedback loop is disrupted by a tumor. So ACTH is continuously released despite plasma, or I mean, the plasma cortisol levels also being high. The cortisol can't get to the pituitary gland adequately enough to say, hey, shut off, stop, stop producing more ACTH. And this in turn makes the adrenal glands appear swollen, which we'll mm -hmm. talk about on ultrasound. They do get larger because they're just continuously producing cortisol. And that and that drives the amount of cortisol up, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, shut off. So I'm going to throw as much cortisol as possible to get it to stop. Yeah. Which is why we see those cortisol levels go up. Yeah, so high. Mm -hmm. Versus in FAT or that functioning adrenal tumor, that that's not a tumor on the pituitary gland. It's a tumor on the adrenal gland itself. And that's usually unilateral. So it's one-sided, but excessive amounts of glucocorticoids are released, exerting a negative feedback on the pituitary, resulting in low ACTH. So you still have an excessive amount of cortisol being released, but your ACTH is going to be low just because it, it is receiving that feedback saying, hey, you know what, shut off. That in turn will cause atrophy of the adrenal gland that doesn't have a tumor. So you'll have one smaller adrenal gland um, and then a tumor noted on ultrasound. And these can be pretty nasty. We're not gonna go into too much detail, but they they are considered malignant. They can grow and we see them eat into the vena cava. It, it's a pretty extensive yeah. surgery. Again, we'll kind of get into how to treat those, but those can be pretty sad and pretty scary. But so kind of moving forward though, with what you see when you have a patient come into the hospital is there are certain breeds this is more of a dog disease it can occur in cats like we kind of talked in the diabetes episode but it's it's a dog disease but poodles are especially prone to this especially <laughs> miniature poodles and i don't know do you ever see it's more of like a little white dog thing <laughs> like it's like yeah definitely. yeah it's like the white, white poodles a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah dachshunds we had a dachshund yesterday <laughs> so many dachshunds right now. which is crazy too because so this short story dachshund came in for incidental finding of something in the stomach and the owners don't recall the dog eating anything but long story short we discovered that the dog was cushionoid so the dog was excessively eating things and mm. eating random foreign objects but they didn't notice really like an increase in drinking or urinating but anyway dog had cushing's disease but classic like pot belly dachshund with thin skin, but boxers are also yeah. prone, Boston Terriers, Yorkies for sure. And even some Staffordshire Terriers are on that list as well. Yeah. I was going to say, I've seen all of those. <laughs> all of them. I'm, I'm actually pretty impressed that Maltese wasn't on the list. Cause I, I feel like I see quite a few of those. Yeah. Yeah. See, but, I, I think it's the little white fluffy thing. Yeah. You know? And their I, hair coats get all crappy and you're like, Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So upon history, some of the things that we'll see is excessive drinking. So all of a sudden they just start tanking up. Right. And well, and it may not be all of a sudden, actually, we've had some where it gradually came over a couple of months and 
and they notice a big difference, you're also going to see them urinating a ton. So large amounts frequently. Sometimes we'll have urinary incontinence in the house or accidents in the house. So that's, that's definitely something to talk to owners about to see if, if they're starting to notice that. Some of our really bad ones, you know, they can't go more than like two hours without having to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And that includes like overnight. Right? Yeah. So if they used to be able to hold it overnight, but they can't anymore, that might be a sign. Yeah. And like, and like what Jordan was saying about the excessive eating, we've, we've had a couple of them diagnosed with either a foreign body or like a pancreatitis or something where they're just all of a sudden they're ravenous, right? They just, they're just trying to, they're getting into the garbage. They're getting into all sorts of stuff because they just want to eat. Yeah. And that's because they have that excessive steroid in their system, you know? So, and that's, we all know that's what steroids do to the body. That's what you, mm-hmm. you, you send home the drug and you're, you tell clients they're going to be PUPD. They're going to want to eat a lot. Um, and that's what these dogs do. They eat a lot. Sometimes they eat foreign objects and, and then you kind of visually see too, when they come into the clinic that they mm-hmm. look cushionoid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they have that heat intolerance. They're just, they just can't handle it. They're lethargic. They have the classic pot belly. I mean, it's classic. Yeah. And that, and the reason for that is because just, just like with steroids, right? You're losing your, you have the steroids, which loses muscle mass. Mm -hmm. So their belly, they actually are losing muscle to, you know, their abs. (laughs) They can't, (laughs) they can't hold in their belly anymore. Their abdominal muscles are getting weak. So it just makes them pooch out. So they may be the same weight as previously, but all of a sudden they look fatter and that's because those muscles can't hold in the belly anymore. And so you would just see that, that really kind of pendulous abdomen mm-hmm. and the, the heat intolerance. We actually had one client tell us that all of a sudden the dog started laying on the tiles more. Yeah. Just doing like that splat out on the tiles, like just wants to be on the tiles and they're panting. Yeah. Um, and they, they don't want to go on walks anymore. Yeah. They're not <laughs> sleeping in the bed anymore. I mean, there's all this stuff that they're just like, I don't want it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and just like, so, I mean, with the PUPD, they're urinating all over the house, but they can get recurrent U- UTIs mm-hmm. um, just because of steroids are immunosuppressive. They, they suppress the immune system and in turn that can lead patients just to be more susceptible to getting a urinary tract infection. Mm-hmm. And then alopecia, they come in with that thin, weird looking hair coat. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was going to say the bilateral alopecia, right? You know, on the yeah. sides and then their belly, like you, you shave a dog for ultrasound and five months later, no hair has grown back in. You're like, Oh, I know. Huh. Like, okay. And that thin skin. Oh my gosh. Like we call it like the old man skin. Like when yeah. it comes to like cats and stuff like that that terrifyingly thin skin. <laughs> yeah. And that's really scary when we're, we're clipping, right. We're shaving mm-hmm. for ultrasound and you're just like, I am going to shave this dog's skin off. And so you definitely see that. And then cat, yeah. the one cat that I saw with Cushing's, that's exactly what happened to this poor cat. Well, not the shaving, but it came in, it was cushionoid and skin. You, you can't scruff them. You can barely no. restrain them because the skin just basically peels off yeah um, they're like rabbits scary yeah and so yeah we have this cat that she had this giant flap on her is it her abdomen it was either her abdomen or her hip area I think it was her abdomen and so we had to be extremely careful because we were doing bandages on this cat because it was Mm -hmm. just this open wound and it and it was hard because you can't really tape to them because when you take the tape off 
Yeah. You're going to peel your skin skin off. off. Yeah. So it was just, it was, it was really hard. And the owner for, you know, ethical reasons, she didn't want to euthanize. So it was just, it was hard for us to, to do the bandage changes. Yeah. I think, I think those cases, well, especially in cats, because there's not really a treatment for it, but like if these patients go untreated, like it can be dangerous. So their Mm -hmm. skin's thin and fragile. They bruise easily. Mm -hmm. They're at risk for infections easily as well. And then they can develop pyoderma, secondary demodex, which I, I definitely saw in general practice. We'd have like an adult dog come in with demodex and we'd oh. be like, why? And then turns out they'd be cushionoid. Oh, so just because their immune, immune system suppressed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then the, the hyperpigmentation. So you'll see oh, um, yeah. they get that black belly. You guys have seen this where it just... Right in the groin area. It's just, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And calcinotus cutis is one of those things that's pretty. So, what happens, and this can happen with excessive steroids like prednisone. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like our immune suppression kids that we put them on a buttload of steroids. What happens is the calcium crystals deposit in the skin. Mm-hmm. And it causes this really, it's really strange looking white, like raised thing. And, and there, it'll be there until the body produces enough skin cells to push it out. Yeah, it's exactly. Really weird. Um, but we want to get those under control pretty quickly too. Yeah. Those ones we usually try to wean off of steroids because it's, yeah. it's steroid induced. It's so it's like the only way to fix the skin really is to take them off the steroids, which is crazy. Cause I have seen, I think people try to treat a lot of those skin things with like steroids and stuff, but I'm like, mm. it's making the problem worse. Yeah. But, and we actually, not that this is in the history, but we recently had one where we did an ultrasound and it was an older dog with Cushing's, but the kidneys were super mineralized looking like it oh, was cool. like, well, made, cool, but... I mean, it's cool for us, but not yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, yay, that's really cool. But it, it was really interesting to see the the changes to the kidneys where these minerals are deposited because of excessive cortisol. So yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to know though, too. So the cushionoid patient we saw recently had a mastectomy done recently, but Mm. the, the incision wasn't healing very well. And so I think that just goes along Mm. with the fact that they're immunosuppressed. They don't heal as well. Their skin is just off. Like it's not, yeah. It's so they are more susceptible to slow healing and, and just, we're not healing or difficulty healing. So I think that's something to kind of keep an eye out for. They're not generally suitable candidates for anesthesia just for risk of infection and poor healing wise. So you do want to try to get those patients under control if you're aware that they might be cushionoid prior to a procedure. So, and then upon intake, things that should be noted or run laboratory wise, and we'll probably repeat the fact of like just good blood draw handling techniques pretty frequently that lipemia can affect certain tests, but increased alkaline phosphatase or ALP, that is kind of a classic chemistry abnormality for cushionoid patients. You can have an increased ALT, hypercholesterolemia, hyperglycemia. So their blood sugars could be high, just steroids. So excessive steroid again decreased BUN. So they might be showing symptoms of like PUPD and you might be worried about their kidneys, but they'll generally have a decreased BUN and protein urea as well. So they'll be losing protein in their, in their urine. So kind of leading into, you have all these abnormalities that you're seeing the differential diagnosis 
you want to rule out renal disease. So that's what that chemistry is very important for. You want to rule out liver disease because you are going to have some elevation of liver values, dehydration, because they're going to be drinking and urinating a lot, diabetes mellitus and diabetes insipidus. So both of those cause easily PUPD and just trying to figure out what is causing the, your pet to drink and urinate more and then kind of narrowing it down to, okay, well, you have a hyperglycemic patient, but you also have an elevated ALKFOS. So there are more diagnostics that should come trying to determine if it's renal disease, diabetes mellitus, diabetes insipidus. There's a lot of things that go along with that. Yeah, it's, it's funny because we frequently will get patients referred to us for liver disease. Yeah, and we're <laughs> us like, too. We're like, well, he, yeah, there's liver disease, but, you know, we look at kind of the history and we're like, mm, we're going to be really suspicious of a dog with Cushing's. And then they come in and we're like, yeah, that looks Cushionoid. So it, you know, it's something that I think, I think it's just as much as it's difficult for technicians to understand endocrine stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, adrenal glands, I think it's also difficult for general practitioners yeah. because they didn't specialize in it. Right. And they don't see it on a daily basis. So sometimes we see more endocrine stuff because yeah. they're like, Nope, that's outside of my realm. Well, Let's and I think go to too, internal medicine. That's what they specialize for. Exactly. So. And I think too, it can be scary, especially if you have that elevated ALT where you're like, Oh no. Like you're just instantly worried that something more might be wrong with the liver. Especially because it tends to be older pets too. Yeah, exactly. So everybody's like, oh God, it's cancer. Yeah. (laughs) No, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. So further diagnostics to kind of get into this. And we mostly only do one of these that's on my list just because gold standard, but I have seen people do like a urine cortisol creatinine ratio and it's, it's okay. It can rule out Cushing's disease, but it doesn't, a high number doesn't necessarily confirm it. So yeah, I, sometimes my doctors will do it as a rule out. Like if we sent out lab work, sometimes we just do yeah. the, the urine test. Cause we're like, we have the urine, let's just rule it out. Yeah. But it, it's, I don't know about you, but my doctor too will have them collect a sample at home mm-hmm. and make sure it's two to three days, at least two to three days after or more after any stressful event. So we don't yeah. typically like to do it the day of like an office visit because that usually mm-hmm. will stress them out a little bit more. Yeah. So sometimes we'll send them home with urine cups just to monitor too, to see how things are going. Yeah, it's actually a really good point to have the urine done at home when they're low stress because cortisol is a stress hormone. So mm-hmm. patient stress, that cortisol level is going to be higher anyway. So that urine cortisol creatinine ratio being done at home with that sample because it can rule out Cushing's disease because it has a high sensitivity value. So what that means is high sensitivity that when negative helps to rule out a disease, but it has a low specific value. So high number on that test doesn't confirm. So what that means is a high specificity value when it's positive, it helps to rule into a disease, but this test doesn't do that. Yeah. So this is, so I remember my, my doctor teaching me about this too. So it's, it's a good mnemonic, right? So snout, so S N N O U T. So high sensitivity. So sensitivity being S N mm-hmm. when it's negative. So N rules it out. So snout. So spin, a test with a high specificity, which is the value. So SP then is a positive, which is P rules it in. So snout and spin, definitely memorize that. So a highly specific and sensitive test is really, really good. 
Mm -hmm. uh, urine cortisol creatinine ratio is not one of those tests. It's highly sensitive, but not specific. Yes. So gold standard testing for Cushing's disease though, is an ACTH stim um, or ACTH stimulation test. I will say with these tests, this is what we do most often, but just be careful with your patient. They can bruise easily, kind of like we mentioned before. Same goes along with the urine tests. Like you want to minimize patient stress for accurate results. So if you do have an extremely stressed out patient in the hospital who's just sitting in a cage trembling, you're going to have an elevated value. Lipemia and icterus can affect the results as well. So you do want your patient fasted, you know, to the best of their ability. Obviously, if they have underlying disease that requires them to eat prior to having this test done, then just try to feed a minimal amount or do it kind of timing wise if you possibly can. 12 hour fast is always better, but not always possible. But you can centrifuge that like we've talked about before just to try to spin down some of that lipemia. And then it is important with this test specifically too, to centrifuge and refrigerate the samples within one hour of drawing them. So what we do for this test is we draw a pre-sample. So our pre, we administer a, an ACTH derivative or synthetic ACTH. We use Cortricin. I, was, I know there's like a gel that I used to use in general practice, but now I don't use it. Yeah, I've heard my doctors talk about the gel. From what I understand, it's just not as accurate anymore compared yeah. to, so cosentropin, which is the generic, Cortricin is the, the brand. And I think that's what we typically use. Yeah, yeah, us too. And then it's pretty easy to get aside from some recent back orders. So <laughs> oh, I haven't run into that yet. Oh, no. oh, that was like a few months ago. It was like super difficult to get. <laughs> but anyway, so you want to draw a pre-sample and I'm a huge, this is going to kind of slide into my tech tips. I'm a huge fan of butterfly catheters. So Woo yeah. <laughs> so you'll place a butterfly catheter, draw your pre-sample, administer your ACTH, and then put a bandaid on, flush it because you don't want, you want your full dose to be given to the dog. And it makes it too, so you're pretty certain that you get the dose in. Like you're gonna notice if you're not getting blood from the vein, you're not gonna get your sample into your patient. So I think that's, it's super helpful to be sure you just have a good draw and a good administration site. Mm -hmm. And then- And then actually to kind of go along with that. So it used to be the, for cosentropin, and some people do this still, is it was one bottle of cosentropin per patient. Yes. Yeah, um, I remember that. So there, there's no real overdosing of cosentropin. There definitely is underdosing. Mm -hmm. So if you ever, you know, think that maybe that dose didn't go all the way IV or, you know, for some reason the dog moved and it splashed, like it may not have gone into the dog or the cat usually not cat. Most of the times it's a dog. Just go ahead and redose them because if they don't get that full dose, your test is going to be invalid. But if you get mm -hmm. a double dose, you're fine. There's mm -hmm. absolutely no problem with giving twice as much as what you're quote unquote supposed to be giving. And then I, I don't know about you, but we dose, we put ours in small syringes and then put it in yeah. the freezer. Yep. For six, it's good for six months in the freezer versus yeah. only 24 hours refrigerated. So yeah. So we put it in the freezer and then once you defrost it, like that's it. We don't refreeze it. Mm -hmm. that's true. So that's why we put it like, um, cause it only comes in a one mil bottle. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we pull it up into like, I don't know, somewhere between 0.3 or 0.2 and 0.3 mils yeah. in a syringe. 
Yeah, we do 0.2 increments and then that's how we dose it too. So if a dog's dose is 0.17, we round up and give 0.2. Oh, okay. so, nice. so yeah, we draw it up in 0.2 increments and administer it in 0.2 increments. Oh, that's, that's actually a really good idea. Because <laughs> again, you can't really, you can't really go too much. So yeah. Huh. Yeah. I might have to talk to my group about that. Cause that's, yeah. that's a good way to do it. That way, you know, how it many syringes you need to pull out of the freezer. Exactly. And it makes it easier. Yeah. It makes it easier to store your excess and administer. So yeah. And, and yeah, and the bottles aren't always like the same. So, so one of my syringes is usually 0.25 and then we administer 0.25 mils. So yeah. And, and then just so that you know, or everybody else knows, the reason we do this is because Cortison is, is expensive. Don't give an entire bottle if we don't have to, because <laughs> yeah. it can, it can be pretty cost prohibitive, but yeah. So yeah, with these results, a dog with um, PDH or spontaneous Cushing's disease will have an, ideally have an exaggerated response to this. So mm -hmm. because the ACTH is telling the adrenal glands to produce cortisol, you're going to have a high cortisol level. Now with your iatrogenic Cushing's disease, the ones that are caused by steroids, you're not really going to see a response to this mm -hmm. test. So you'll see a normal to diminished response on your ACTH simulation test. Hmm. Um, I know a lot of people, I, I, in general practice, I did a lot of low dose and high dose DEX stimulation tests. And what that does is it evaluates the negative feedback loop of the pituitary gland. I still prefer the ACTH stim test. We usually do the low dose dex suppression test first mm -hmm. to diagnose. So, because it is very specific as far as, you know, is it adrenal or is it pituitary? Yeah. So we usually start with the low dose dex first and then our ACTH most of the time is like our monitoring. Oh um, yeah. But that's just what my doctors do. We don't really do the high dose dex suppression. Yeah. But yeah, we, we definitely do the low dose. So the reason for that is because in a normal dog, dexamethasone would suppress the secretion of ACTH from the pituitary gland. So in your cushionoid patients with PDH or an FAT, dex would have minimal effects. So your cortisol con concentrations would remain high versus in a normal dog, your dexamethasone would suppress those levels. I think we probably don't do those because we use ultrasound to just visualize. So we kind of... Yeah, sometimes we don't do it because we're like, look... There's yeah. an adrenal tube because we usually, so during our consults, most of the times we start with an ultrasound because yeah, you too. can do that that day. If we see an adrenal tumor, a lot of times we'll do the ACTH. If we don't see an adrenal tumor, but we're still thinking it's pushings, then we do the low dose sex depression test. Mm -hmm. So that's probably where that comes in. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing to know too, is just explaining to your clients, like an ACTH takes the test itself is an hour, but I usually say an hour and a half just to yeah. like get everything ready, do the test, and then get the patient out the door kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas like a low-dose dex, that's an eight-hour test because you do mm. your pre, your four-hour, and your eight-hour. So sometimes we don't do the low-dose dex expression because of, you know, maybe the client's coming from further away or they just don't want to drop their pet off for the entire day. So well, that, and I think too, honestly, being there in a clinic setting for eight hours is more stressful for a pet. So I do think that would affect maybe some results. Maybe it not. It, maybe. it depends on, yeah, it totally yeah. depends on the animal. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like maybe after a while, some pets would be like, okay, this is my life now. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. But I do like ultrasound because you can just visualize either you're going to see a tumor on the adrenal gland 
you know it's FAT. And then just with PDH, you're gonna see those swollen adrenal glands. And generally those measure greater than 0.6 centimeters. Less than 0.6 centimeters is generally normal. Obviously it's gonna vary per patient. If you have a 0.7, you're probably not gonna be like 0.7 centimeter adrenal gland in a Great Dane. You're probably not gonna be like, it's cushionoid. So you definitely can't just go off of ultrasound, but or it's helpful. Seven centimeters in a chihuahua. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So treatment wise though, the easiest way I think, so for PDH, we use trilostane. I don't, I've never used mitotane. I think they've, I believe they stopped manufacturing mitotane in the last year or two. Yeah. Um, and there so now several just, side effects. <laughs> Yeah, because so the so the difference between trilostane and mitotane. So mitotane was designed to go to the adrenal tumor and actually destroys cells within the adrenal gland. Mm -hmm. And so once that happened, like so that's why there's like this whole induction thing and then close monitoring that happens mm -hmm. because you can overshoot <laughs> and actually make them hypoadrenal corticoids so now all of a sudden they're addisons mm -hmm. so mitotane like my doctors hate mitotane they stay yeah. away from it because it's just you can cause problems whereas trilostane all it does is test things yeah so there's no permanent change in the pet so you can stop it and usually within 12 to 24 hours it's out of the system and like so if yeah. you overdose them, you know, quote unquote, overdose them, you can stop it and they come back. Whereas like mitotane, you can't. Yeah. Um, so I think it's fallen out of favor with yeah. the newer doctors as well, because they're, they're trying to use what trilostane now. I think you're right. I don't think it's really around anymore. So, cause trilostane, like you said, so it inhibits the synthesis of adrenal cortex hormones. So it's going to inhibit your cortisol, but it is important still to monitor an ACTH stem mm -hmm. with trilostane as well, just to make sure that they're getting the proper dose. And so be sure that when obtaining a history, we, I know we talked about this previously where you want to getting a history, you want to find out from your client what time they gave the trilostane because you're going to draw those samples four to six hours post medication. Again, super important to be sure that you find out from your client what time they gave your medication. And this is going to vary too. And we'll kind of get into the client communication part because this test should be checked pretty frequently until a stable dose is found. So they do recommend rechecking that until you're at a stable dose. And yeah, then- And I, to kind of go along with that too, is to talk to clients and, and ugh, I love my clients sometimes, make sure that they understand to give the dose at the normal time. Yeah. Don't yes. Just, <laughs> because, because I've had clients be like, well, you only had a one o'clock appointment. So instead of giving- my trilostane at four in the morning, I gave it so at nine. And you're like, no. <laughs> so you want to make sure that they give the medication at the normal time they give it in the morning mm -hmm. and that, you know, they, they give it with the food or whatever that they normally do yeah. and then do four to six hours. So we have to be flexible with our scheduling for mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And to communicate with your receptionist though, too, if they're the ones scheduling the recheck and they're just like, Hey, Fluffy needs to come in for a recheck ACTH stim, but they're, it doesn't get realized that like they're supposed to get a medication and we got to try to time that it might turn into a drop off or you might miss that window if they scheduled at 4 PM. And they're like, so that can be very frustrating for clients as well. So it's just communication and record keeping, try to make a communication 
in the client's chart saying, hey, recommended rechecking ACTH stim. This needs to be four to six hours after the medication is given. Yeah. And I, one of the other things I talk to my clients too about is brand versus generic. So trilostane versus veteral, right? Mm-hmm. So my doctors prefer to use veteral versus yeah. trilostane. So they prefer the brand name. So that's one of the things that's really important for us to remember when we're talking to the clients is making sure that they stay with whatever it is they choose. Like do not bounce back and forth between the generic and the brand because they react differently in the body. Mm-hmm. My doctors prefer veteral. So when I'm calling it into a pharmacy, so like I will call it into Costco because Costco carries it. I specifically say federal brand only this strength, right? Yeah. Um, so that's just something really important to know, especially because federal in the last year has gone out of stock tons of time. So you just want to make sure that if you've got a patient on veteral, you know, they're not switching back and forth between veteral, veteral and trilostane without understanding that they may not work the same. Mm-hmm. And so you may, like, if you're going from veteral to trilostane because the veteral brand is, is out of stock, they may see more of those symptoms again. And we probably don't want to do an ACTH and adjust dosages if we know we're just tiding over until we get back onto the veteral. Yeah. And then we kind of, you know, wait at least 10 days before, you know, switching again to to test our ACT. So it's just, unfortunately, one of the things that we do have to deal with, because unfortunately, if you don't, and you have no idea, we can be be making dose adjustments that are inappropriate, not consistent with the drug itself. Yeah. And it does kind of break down to the there's a potential for wasting your client's money too. Mm-hmm. Like if you're unaware, you know, you know that this test isn't going to be accurate, but you don't ask the right questions to really kind of find out. Then there's, yeah, there's a waste of money when it comes yeah. to that. So unfortunately, so it's just a matter of really kind of keeping tabs on what's happening with your patient. Yeah. And then a functioning adrenal tumor, those trilostine has little effect on like a tumor size. Really what's recommended for those is a unilateral adrenalectomy. And I'm so happy I don't work in surgery because that can be scary, especially if it's eating into the vena cava. Those, and we've had several clients elect not to do that. I get it. It's a scary surgery. It takes a lot. Monitoring tumor size with ultrasound is, is important because then you can watch to see if it's how quickly it's growing, if it is going to start eating into the vena cava or not. But yeah, surgery is really the top recommendation for that type of Cushing's. Yeah. Yep. And then... These dogs do tend to have like a high triglycerides level and high cholesterol. So just for general maintenance of these patients, a mild fat diet is recommended just to help kind of better control. Yeah. I think kind of the go-to for my doctors is a Royal Canin GI low fat. Yeah. That tends yeah. to be the one that they recommend the most. Um, yeah. We recommend ID low fat all the time. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. as I say, depending on which one they like. Yeah. It's like if you work for an internist, you automatically just feed low fat diet all the time. <laughs> You're like, you just get low fat everything. Yeah. They're like, the doctor forgot to give me a prescription. I'm like, don't worry. It's probably this. <laughs> yeah. So like we said, client communication is pretty big for this disease just because you want to express that the goals, you're not going to, yes, it's a brain tumor or an adrenal tumor or caused by you. And all three of those options can be very stressful for a client. So just trying to inform them that if it's a brain tumor, it's not malignant. Your patient will 
likely have a good quality of life. If it's an adrenal tumor, yes, it can be scary. Yes, it can get worse. Um, and if it's a steroid effect, sorry, but it happens. It's a risk of steroids. So you just want to tell them that, you know, the goals of treating Cushing's disease is just to minif minimize the effects of the disease and improve your pet's quality of life. We don't want them drinking and urinating all over the house. Um, we don't want them eating the carpet randomly because they're ravenously hungry. We don't want them um, having their skin come off <laughs> because <they're, laughs> they got caught behind the couch or something. Oh gosh, could you imagine? Oof. No, that sounds horrible. Why did you even, thanks for putting that in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Oh the cat story like stuck to my I've heard stories of cats with Cushing's disease like yeah, it's just not... being scruffed and then it just comes off and oh uh, okay we, we just lost everyone listening to the podcast like, <laughs> switch off <laughs> no, they're texts they get it half these texts I'm certain like love a good abscess like skin falling off shouldn't be too bad right? are gross I know I'm not a big <laughs> abscess person I don't work in the ER <laughs> <laughs> Um, so ACTH stimulation monitoring will be necessary. Yes, that test can be costly, mm -hmm. but yes, it's necessary. So informing your clients that rechecking that pretty frequently, especially in the beginning is pretty important. And, and I was going to say, cause the reason we're doing that is because we don't want to make our pets cortisol level too low, right? Yeah. Because there are, there are concerns about becoming Addisonian, right? If, if we, if our dose is not correct. Mm -hmm. So then they can get vomiting, diarrhea, they don't want to eat, they become lethargic, and, it, and that can become, you know, like, it, worse comes to worse, they can have an Addisonian crisis. Not super common for these guys to have mm -hmm. it, but it is a potential, especially if you start really high and you're not monitoring. So we just, yeah. you know, I usually tell my clients, if you're noticing vomiting, diarrhea, lethargy, not wanting to eat, skip the dose of the veteral or the trilostane mm -hmm. um, until they start feeling better. And then, you know, maybe we figure out if we need to go a lower dose or, yeah. you know, what, what else is going on. But if, you know, if it's just one day where they're doing that, you know, especially if it's just like a new dose increase, Mm -hmm. try stopping the, the trial stay and see if they feel better. And then maybe we go, okay, we need to back off a little bit. Yeah. Um, especially with our little kids, right? Because yes. there's only a five, well, thankfully there's a five milligram now there used to not be. Um, and it goes from five to 10 and sometimes five isn't quite enough, but 10 is too much. So, mm -hmm. and, and I think too, you're going to have those non-compliant owners though, too, who don't schedule the recheck. And yeah. so their dog's been on 30 milligrams for three months. And now the dog could potentially be having some kind of Addisonian like issues. Yeah. So because the clients didn't follow up and yes, there's only so much you can do, but kind of trying to keep track of like the clients and making follow-up calls and being like, Hey, you know, how's, how's buddy doing we really do recommend that you come back in for an ACTH stem and finances can be an issue. So I think it, I think it, it's just a matter of really communicating with your clients. Yeah. And, and with the client communication too, and this is something that unfortunately we, we can't dictate it, but we can talk to our doctors about is I've seen, so ideally your veteral, your trilostane is twice a day, right? Mm -hmm. So every 12 hours. We've seen a couple of um, pets come from some of our referring vets where they're getting 30 milligrams once a day. Yeah. So the, the problem with that is, so let's say they give the 30 milligrams in the morning, 
you know, they drop down. Sometimes they drop down really low. Say they get really lethargic and they feel like crap during the day. And then as it leaves their system at night, all of a sudden they're PUPD. The doctor's like, oh, he's still PUPD. Let's, let's go up on the dose instead of realizing, you know, they'd be better off with 10 and 10. Mm -hmm. So we can do less of the drug, but stabilizing that because it's like, it is meant to be a twice a day drug, not every 24 hours. Yeah. So sometimes we have to be aware of that and talk, you know, talk to our doctors and be like, Hey, you know, why aren't we doing it twice a day? Yeah. Well, and two, I, I think some of those situations can be dangerous. I'm not home during the day. If my dog, if I were to give that medication once a day, my dog were to be lethargic middle of the day, I, I wouldn't be home to notice it. I would only be home to notice the symptoms of Cushing's. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that too, is like a matter of really just trying to get a thorough history and be aware of what's going on because sometimes owners aren't going to be aware that their dog is becoming lethargic. So, Mm -hmm. and then just really minimizing those symptoms though, too, with the medication. So you do want to ask your client, like how's water consumption? How's urination? Mm -hmm. What time was the medication given? Because you do want to find out if it was given once or twice a day, or if it was skipped because they were unaware that they needed to give it before to the appointment yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how their Confirm. appetite is. If their appetite is still ravenous or if they're still eating random objects out in the yard or in the house that they shouldn't be. Those or are, they're getting super picky and don't want to eat. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I think those are all pretty important. And then we kind of run into the, we ran through the cautions. Don't, don't cut the skin off. And <laughs> this disease it seems pretty common. I think in my world that it just, it's easy to kind of forget how sick they really can be with the mm-hmm. susceptibility of infections and UTIs and skin infections and yeah. skin tearing. I think the other thing that we can monitor, especially when we're monitoring the adrenal gland size is monitoring the gallbladder, right? Mm-hmm. These guys are predisposed to getting a gallbladder mucosal, especially if they go untreated typically once they start getting treated, it's, it's not as much of a problem, but we still need to be very careful because the gallbladder mucosal, what, what that is, is it's, it's a plug basically in the gallbladder. And if they get a mucosal, the potential for the gallbladder rupturing is high. So we just want to make sure that we're keeping an eye on that gallbladder, using the low fat food to help, you know, minimize the amount of gallbladder issues. So Um, that's something else to talk to our clients about and just be like, Hey, you know, we're going to keep an eye on the gallbladder. We're going to keep an eye on the adrenal glands and make sure there's, there's not those problems. Another caution. I mean, with the gallbladder mucosal, these dogs, and I think, I don't think I realized this for a long time, but Kushinoi dogs are really uh, prone to throwing clots. So pulmonary thromboembolisms. So they can throw clots to their lungs and they, it, I mean, that can be severe. It can be, (laughs) can be deadly. So I think that needs to be remembered too, especially when you have kind of a newly diagnosed patient and you're planning on doing anesthesia, it is ideal to try to stabilize Mm -hmm. them, but just understand too, that they, if they start having respiratory symptoms, you might want to look into completing some radiographs and look for a PTE. Yeah. And I mean, I, that makes sense because you have an inflammation, inflammatory thing going on in the body, right? Plus mm-hmm. you have steroids and high dose of steroids. You're going to be, that's also pro, um, c- pro clot, right? So it makes sense that they're more mm-hmm. predisposed to throwing clots. I, I, I didn't think about it, but that, that definitely makes sense. And one thing to remember a patient that has a PTE typically 
it's a sudden change in respiratory effort and Mm -hmm. and it sucks because you'll put them in oxygen but they're still not oxygenating right so your spo2 isn't going up so that's those cases are difficult because it's like you try to throw like Plavix or something at them, and it's just you're just waiting to see. Yeah, if it works. you want to find an analytic that works, hopefully fast enough. I mean, in theory, they can go in and take a clot out, which whew, is expensive, expensive and scary. scary and I don't like, do that. Oh. <laughs> no, <laughs> I would not want to be a part of that no. anesthesia. Um, yeah, and you might need to do a CT scan to look for it um, if it doesn't show up on X-ray. Yeah. But those are not scary. good. So yeah. I think that's one of those things too. That like I, I know I don't always remember that that's a risk of Cushing. Yeah, it's, it's, totally. So honestly, I didn't even know it until we researched for this. So I'm like, oh, geez. <laughs> it's the tip of the week. So a couple tips to kind of take away from this episode. It's an endocrine disorder. It's more common in dogs, rare disorder of cats, but can happen. Rare. Clinical signs are PUPD, similar in dogs and cats, with the exception that if you are going to see Cushing's disease in a cat, they're likely going to have concurrent diabetes mellitus with Cushing's disease, and they're likely going to have diabetes first. Yeah. So, <laughs> And then just be sure, really be sure to know when and how the medications are being given and rechecking a stem uh, just because we don't want to waste the client's money. Yeah, I'm going to say the other tip of the week is our um, snout versus spin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I um, I think that was a um, good tip of the week. And I will, I might, I might make like a goofy picture for that because that's... Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to make something and put yeah. it on Facebook. <laughs> and I, to me, that is always the hardest to understand what is highly sensitive, but not sense specific. Like I, it, in my head, mm-hmm. I can never remember. So I'm, I think I'm going to make like something to try to try to remember that for us. Yeah, exactly. And, and we'll try to get that to you guys whenever we can figure out how to make it more simple right. to understand. Leading into our question of the week. And now for the question of the week. What is your favorite endocrine disorder. So this is a pretty good endocrine disorder because so many things are happening within the body, I think. And people don't realize that it can lead to so many other things. So I do personally like Cushing's mm-hmm. disease, but I know there's a lot of people who prefer other, <laughs> other endocrine disorders. I think, I think Cushing's to me is, um, it, it is, it is a fairly common one. And once you mm-hmm. kind of understand it and know what to look for, I think it's, it's kind of satisfying, right? Not as satisfying as Addison's because well but I think it's satisfying in so far well we can argue this but um I think it's I think (laughs) I I always forget to do this is I'd love to take that before and after picture right where oh yeah these animals come in and they look like they're old because you know they have the muscle wasting in their head and they're super pot belly thin skin and then especially if they're really high uh, you know when they're diagnosed then you start treating them and they come in and they look like they have found the fountain of youth. Right. And the clients are like, Oh right. my God, I didn't realize how bad it was. Cause it can be gradual. Right. And a lot of people go, Oh, he's just getting old. Um, and you're like, yeah, exactly. Just getting old. <laughs> so I, I, I'll agree that those subtle changes are pretty good versus Addison's is like, you can have a dog on death's door come in and then you just give them some steroids and then they're like a puppy again instant (laughs) gratification fine i'll I'll take you on that one (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. So if you guys want to tell us what your favorite endocrine disorder is and why, that'd be really cool. Or if you absolutely hate endocrine. I don't know why. Yeah. If you like internal medicine, I feel like you're obligated to like endocrine, even though you may have a love-hate relationship with it. Maybe people are just getting into internal medicine, so they still hate. They're still hating (laughs) it because they're like, I don't understand it at all. Ah, that That was me for a long time. I totally understand. Yeah, exactly. Um, so please answer our question of the week at internalmedicineforvettechs.com forward slash podcast show notes. And you can leave us a comment or at imfpp.org forward slash show notes. So definitely check it out there. Go check out the continuing education questions and get your certificate for maybe listening to a podcast while driving or you know, doing chores around the house. Cause that's also a great time to mm-hmm. listen to a podcast. Um, that way you can, you know, get smart and show your work that you're, you know, learning on, on your, your own, own time. time. <laughs> and then we've got the resources, um, that'll be on the website. So you can see the, you know, the books that we, we like to check out and learn from. We'll, we'll have those resources up for you too. And uh, just a reminder that we have the Technician Treasure Trove. So if you haven't signed up for our website and you haven't gotten your password, um, definitely do that so you can get all the fun handouts that we're talking about and, and the resources. And like like we've said, we'll, we'll keep that updated and keep adding more to it. So it's a little bit more of like a, a hoard of treasure for you. And if you guys have any like suggestions for things that you'd like us to add in there, just let us know because we'll, we'll make stuff. We're happy to do that. We do love hearing from people. Yes. And I do. Gosh, I love making handouts. (laughs) So it is. Yeah. There's just something like, I just, I I like it. I like having it. It's rewarding. Yeah. It's rewarding because you're sharing that information with someone you know, with your clients. Well, that, like when your doctor's yeah. like, God, I wish I could just give my client something. And I'm like, yeah. here, like, I made, this. I made it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm the one that does that for my clinic. So I, I, I get, yeah, to. me too. I make feeding guidelines yeah. and stuff. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, is there anything else that you can think of we should talk about before we head out for the week? I don't think so. Just keep listening, rate, review, leave us a comment, please. Um, send us an email if you have suggestions or um, just comments about something that you, that we talked about that you want to mention. We're always happy to hear from you. So thanks again yeah, for listening. Guys, uh, keep, it, it amazes me how many people are listening and makes me feel like we're doing, we're doing good, getting some, some knowledge out there for you guys. all right guys well i hope you had a wonderful thanksgiving last week um hopefully you know you're awake enough to listen to this episode stay sane until next week because i'm sure the holiday rush has already started which oh Oh, definitely i gotta go great oh crap all right guys (laughs) um have a wonderful week keep uh learning and go save some pets and we'll uh we'll talk to you next Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.